not on. Now I bet I'm on. <laughs> you can go home and tell people at your work that they have to turn your pastor on. <laughs> Genesis chapter 2, and then we'll be in Revelation chapter 22. We're going to get biblical allegories, but it's the Kyle edition, not the Edward edition this evening. We're going to look at the tree of life tonight. Last week, I enjoyed, I've enjoyed all of Edward's messages, but Alec and I were doing discipleship, so throughout the week, I listened to Edward's message on the four trees, and uh, it was a wonderful message, and in the first point of last week, he talked about one of the four trees is the tree of life. Well, it got me thinking, uh, as I'm his stand-in this evening, of a message I preached years and years ago. This is not that message. It's similar. There's some thoughts that I borrowed from it, but uh, on the allegory of the tree of life. Now, it's an allegory that's not an allegory that is an allegory, and by that I mean there's a meaning of the tree of life. We don't really know what the tree of life looks like or what it will manifest as, and so in that sense, there is the allegory of the tree of life, and so we will Look at the word of God this evening. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 8, we find the first mention of it in verses 8 and 9. The Bible says, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put up the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Notice next, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now take your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation chapter number 22. We're going to be looking at these verses several times during the message tonight, so they've got them in the outlines. But I would like for you to turn to them. Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. This is a... Prophecy looking forward to what life will be like in the eternal state, the last final dispensation that is given to us in the word of God. And in Revelation chapter 22, we get a picture of what that eternal state will look like, what heaven will be like after chapter 21 explains the new Jerusalem and what it will consist of and what worship will be like. When you get to chapter 22 and verse 1, the Bible says, and he showed me. A pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Notice verse 2, in the midst of the street of it. That word street just has the idea in the midst of the way, in the midst of where that river was flowing, and the way it is to the center of town, if you will. On either side of the river was, uh, excuse me, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree... But for the healing of the nations. Father, help us this evening as we come to the Word of God. And as we take some time together to study, I think, a very important tree. It is the one that sustains us and heals us from the beginning to the end, as we'll see this evening. Bless us, I pray, in this hour, in Jesus' name. Amen. I love hidden Bible truths, and that's what Edward has been pulling out in this series of biblical allegories. I love the Bible truths especially that are hidden, that have profound truths that impact my daily life. So as tonight's guest speaker, technically what I am, 
I thought I would preach a message on the allegory that is, in fact, a reality, yet revealed in the most allegorical way. You say, that's a tongue twister. I know, it's a tongue twister for me to say as well. Let me ask first this evening, is the tree of life a real tree? It's Wednesday, we can talk like this. Is it a real tree? What's it look like? Best answer I've gotten already. I don't know if we can top that one. It has leaves. I read one commentator that said that the tree of life likely was an acacia wood. Noah, when he built the ark, was told directly by God to go and find shittim wood. I don't believe that personally. I thought it was an interesting take by someone who was trying to pull at threads. And what I'm doing in this introduction is making sure you understand I don't know what the tree of life looks like. I don't think it's one that is growing on planet Earth today. I think it is a real tree, and it dwells in the heavenly realm because it is created by God. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. But there is certainly great truth in its teaching and what it means for us. I believe, personally, it is a real tree. And I believe the tree itself, if not in its actual form, but in its substance, is God. As everything draws its essence and presence from God, the, the creator. So let's do a little Bible research project then, and our final point will make an application this evening from the book of Exodus, and then a little bit from a vision from the book of Ezekiel. The Bible study, we begin by understanding the tree's provision in our notes. The tree's provision. If we're going to understand the tree of life, we have to understand what the tree of life provides for us. Now, I'm going to ask one of those duh questions. What do you think the tree of life provides for us? Life. And I would argue to you that it provides not just a life, but it provides eternal life. Life that is worth living. Life that is enjoyable. The tree provides us eternal life. The passage we saw in Genesis 2, 8, and 9, I'll read it again, said the Lord God planted a garden eastward of Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also. In Genesis chapter 3, which we did not read in verse 22, the Bible goes on there. After the fall and in the curse, God says this, and the Lord God said, behold, the man has become one of, as one of us. To know good and evil. Why is that so? Well, because he touched and took and ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which was forbidden. Now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat, and notice what it says, and live forever. It's a real tree that can really be taken from, and we can really eat of it. And as we reach and as we take and as we eat, we live eternally. The problem for God is that he did not want Adam in his fallen, separated state to live in that misery forever. And so he kicked him out of the garden. The Bible goes on to say, Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims, and notice what he put there, a flaming sword. The sword of the word of God as an allegory always speaks to the word of God, the Bible itself. He literally put as the standard to entrance back into the way of the tree of life, his word to protect it. The only way you will get back to the tree of life is through his word, through the flaming sword that is placed there. 
It is a strange consideration, but as we read in Revelation later on, or later on, there seems to be a perpetual eating of the tree of life, even into our eternal future. Sometimes we get the picture that eternal state in heaven will be us floating on a cloud, but here's what the Bible says again, where we are in Revelation 22 and verses 1 and 2. He showed me a pure river, a water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and land in the midst of the street of it. On either side of the river was there the tree of life. And it bare, by the way, 12 manner of fruits and yielded those fruits every month. I have heard people say, and I've long talked about this, I've said it in other messages. When we sing the old hymn that says, time shall be no more. Yes, in the sense of you and I growing older, that is true in the hymn. But there will be a marking of month by month. And how will we do it? When we come to the tree of life and we recognize there is a new fruit, a new leaf growing on it, that is marking a new month. You say, that is fantastic. I know, but I can't explain it more than that. Right? A pastor needs to know his limits. And my limit is I was not there with John, and I'm not going to try to describe it because John didn't try to describe it. He simply noted that there is a tree. That tree brings forth its fruit. It brings forth its fruit in her inner season or yields it at its time every month. And the leaves of the tree, the product of that tree, when we take of it and partake of it, is the healing of the nations or the nations of mankind. You, you look across the world and you see amongst nationality and nationality, ethnicity and ethnicity, all of the harm that we do one to another. God says for the rest of eternity, when and if there was ever an opportunity of animosity, you just come back to the tree of life and take of that fruit. Its purpose in the garden, as its purpose is in the eternal state, will be for man to take and eat from that tree. And by freely taking, their eternal life is sustained. It is the great giver of life, sharing of himself for the rest of eternity through that tree itself. What instrument or object God uses is immaterial to us so long as his life is shared with us for the rest of eternity. And he's promised to do that. Our mortality, we might say, as we take of that tree, this is the provision of God once again, our mortality is swallowed up by his immortality in that moment. We're transformed into his image as we talk past from this life to the next. For us, Christ is that provision of life. He is our personally tree of life. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 7, he's writing to or speaking to, excuse me, the angel of the church at Ephesus. And here's what he says as he closes his statement to the angel of the church of Ephesus, the pastor of the church at Ephesus, one of the seven churches he's warning at the beginning of Revelation. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the what? Midst of the paradise of God. The paradise of God is just the presence of God. Now, take your Bibles and turn with me to the, uh, to the Gospel of John. I'm going to make a connection when we talk about this provision. Christ is our tree of life, especially for us of this age of grace. We put our faith and trust in him. We must reach out and take of him. Just as Adam, before the fall, would go to the tree of life, take, and he would eat freely, and his life was sustained. But the moment he took of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he could no longer go back to that tree of life and partake of it. For if he did, he would have stayed eternally mortal rather than becoming immortality. 
rather than putting on the new flesh that is created in Christ Jesus. In the Gospel of John, Jesus is teaching. Now, don't get lost, by the way, in the allegory. He's referencing in John 6 that he is the bread of life, but I want you to focus not on the allegories of him being manna or the bread of life. I want you to focus on the process of what Jesus is talking about, and you will see that Christ himself is our tree of life. In verse number 47, Jesus speaking says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Verse 48, I am that bread of life. There is his analogy. He is linking it to the manna that was provided in uh, for the Israelites in the wilderness. But we go down to verse 54, and now this sounds a lot like Adam was living in the garden before the fall. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up the last day. He says effectively, if you reach out and if you take of me, you will live eternally. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed, and he that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I am him. As the living Father hath sent me, I live by the Father. So he that eateth me reaches out, takes of that fruit, and eateth of me, even he shall live by me. That is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live for what? Ever. Forever. Adam willfully reached and took of the tree. We willfully reach and take of Jesus Christ. Adam in the garden ate of the tree, and that tree gave him or provided for him eternal life. We take of Christ, and he gives us eternal life. In other words, the provision that the tree of life gave is the same provision that Jesus Christ gives to us. So yes, it is a real tree, but you and I can't go and take of that tree. We can only, as branches, come and draw our sustenance from the great tree that is Jesus Christ, who gives his life for us. So we note the tree's provision, but secondly, we note the tree's placement. Over and over and over again in the verses that we've already read this evening, you get the idea that the tree is squarely in the center of everything. It is front and center. It was in the middle of the garden. It is in the midst of paradise in Revelation 2 and verse 7. It is in the middle of where the throne and the river from the throne flows in heaven in Revelation 22. The idea, then, is that this real tree is in the middle of everything. That tells us that the life we have in Jesus Christ ought to be at the center of who we are. It ought to be everything that we are. The tree of life is at the center of everything. Life is the centerpiece of everything. That is why death is so painful, why it is so difficult, why it hurts so much, because it is everything that God is not. God places life at the center because he, God, ought to be the center of everything. And yes, God is love, but God is also light and life, we know from the word of God. From the beginning all the way through the never-ending eternity, God places life as the center for all of his creation. You are either alive in him or you are dead in your trespasses and sins. John 1 and verse 4, and him that is in the word, Jesus Christ, was life, and the life was the light of men. We can note the tree's provision. We obviously understand its placement. Then third, I want you to understand the tree's permanence. It's permanent. There was a tree in the beginning, 
There is a tree throughout, and there is a tree of life in the end. In just a few moments, we'll look at Ezekiel chapter 47 and verse 12. But simply to say, in Ezekiel chapter 47, he sees a river, and he sees a tree, and he sees a tree that is giving its fruit. The prophet went down into the river in Ezekiel 47 until the river actually flowed over his head, and it controlled him. It is along this river that the prophet sees trees that provide both meat, he says, and medicine. Oh, that's a wonderful thought. We'll see in a moment. The vision of Ezekiel 47 tells us how life will be in heaven and how life ought to be lived by grace in this life, in this existence. The river in Ezekiel 47 is the spirit of God. The tree is the salvation that we have from God. For in salvation, by way of the spirit of God, we have life and we have it more abundantly. Ezekiel's trees do exactly what John's singular tree does, as we noted in Chapter 22 and verses 1 and 2. One more time, I'll put it on the board for you. I think you're getting a picture here. These are the only two references that we have as clear as day to the tree of life. But I want you to focus on things in, in this passage. Notice in just a moment when we get to what the potential hope for us is, the last point, you will see these very words that John uses are the words that Moses uses in Exodus 15. Here's what he says. John says, he showed me pure river of water, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne. Later in the verse, he said that there was in the midst of the street a tree of life, and that the leaves were for the healing of the nations. The tree is there in the beginning, the tree is here for us now, and the tree will be there in eternity. Its permanence speaks not to the tree, but to its source, to its creator, God himself. The New Testament writers understood this idea that life was wrapped up in Christ. In Colossians 3 and verse 4, Paul says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. To Timothy, he said this in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. To the Corinthians, he said this in chapter 15 and verse 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And John in his epistle says this in chapter 5 and verses 11 and following. And this is the record that God has given to us eternal life. And his life is in his son. He that hath the son hath life. And he that hath not the son hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the son of God that ye may know. That ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. The permanence of the divine life of God is as sure as his power, as his presence, as his per person, and his promises. That's what we just read. It's as sure as he is. Now, if you doubt your eternal life or eternal security, you are doubting who God is. He gave you salvation, and in that he gave you new life. Well, this brings us to our point. You say, oh, that wasn't the point. No, that was just the buildup. Those were the three points that get us to number four, and that is the tree's potential. The tree's potential. Take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 15, if you will.
In Exodus chapter number 15, we have the Song of Moses. Now, we are told that the Song of Moses is actually one of the songs that we will be singing in eternity. If you want to find out some of the hymns of heaven, go ahead and read the Song of Moses in Exodus chapter 15. It is a song of victory. It is a song of salvation. Immediately after he finishes in verses 20 and 21, Miriam steps to the plate and she sings as his sister and as a prophetess in Israel at that time. She sings and she concludes in verse 21 by saying this, Sing ye to the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. He's literally cast him into the sea. Verse 22, so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found what? Now, let's stop for a second. Let's make sure we understand where we're heading with this. This, according to Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, these Old Testament stories, these real events happened as an example, as an example for our learning. So these are not just isolated stories of random people in Israel who are walking out into the wilderness and saying, huh, we ran out of water. The point is they've been saved by the Passover blood. By the shedding of blood, there is remission of sin. They pass through in obedience to God the waters of baptism of the Red Sea. That didn't save them, but that certainly separated them from the world. And as soon as they come through that salvation and that first step of obedience, they're on the other side. And what happens? This. This is the very first thing that happens on the other side. And notice what it goes on to say. Besides having no water, and when they came to Mara, that's an interesting word. The word Mara literally means bitter, quarrelsome nature. Bitterness, anger, regret, longing. All of these are Hebrew words that speak to the same thing. They felt like God had done them wrong. There was a problem. The word Mara is what... Uh, Naomi changed her name to in the book of Ruth when her husband dies and her two son-in-laws die and she's left as a widow with no help. It's Ruth who follows her, but Naomi says, call me bitterness. That's what this word Mara means. So that again, there's an example. There's a lesson in this. They've come out of the world. They've been saved. And here they've come to the wilderness of no water. Where do we get our sustenance? Where do we get our healing? Well, you're going to see a wonderful picture because of what happens next. For they were bitter, therefore the name of it was called Mara. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? How are we going to be sustained? Moses, these waters are filthy. And he cried to the Lord. Notice what it says in verse 25. This sounds exactly like what John says in Revelation 22 and verse number 2. And the Lord showed him a tree. Which when he cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statue and an ordinance, and there he proved them. And said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and wilt give ear to his commandment, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases. Now, interestingly, it seems that this diseased water of Marah was emblematic in the mind of God of all of the diseases that he had just put on the, the Egyptian people. He said, have these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians. For I am the Lord, thy, for I am the Lord notice that healeth thee. And they came to Elam, where there were twelve walls of water, and threescore and ten palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters. In other words, this is two movements. 
The first movement is to a place of dissatisfaction and perhaps potential discouragement. But there is a remedy for all of life's discouragements. And what is that remedy? The tree. It is the tree that is cast into the water that makes the waters sweet. What benefit then is the tree of life in our lives now? That's really the question. That's the potential of the tree of life. You have new life, eternal life. You have renewed life. You have reformed, regenerated life. All of the things that we could say in Christ Jesus. You are a new creature created in Christ Jesus. But what are you doing with that newness of life? The answer is found here in Exodus 15. It begins with Moses singing, and on the heels of it, they're confronted with bitterness. Bitterness over what? You name it, effectively here. The point is that right after salvation, the believer has to figure out what kind of life this new life is going to be. And that's what happened at Mara. God placed this story here to teach us that the way to, life, to live eternal life uh, every day of your life is to take the tree of life and put it at the center of your circumstances. Put it in the middle of the diseased waters. Put it in the middle of that which is most troubling to you. It doesn't matter what evil has befallen you, and there are many evils that can befall us. It doesn't matter what horrible thing might be in your future. The tree of life, the hope of God in salvation, the eternal life that you have received, brought into the waters of life's circumstances will bring health and sweetness to any circumstance. God is telling his people both then and now that there is no life event where the potential healing of the tree of life cannot affect a God-honoring result. Think that through. Listen, friends, there's nothing back there in Egypt that you did. By the way, who would have been chief among them that would love to have had many of his sins of the old life washed away? Moses, he was a murderer. And some of them even called him out on that when he was leading. When you take the new life you have in Jesus Christ and apply it to the circumstances of your everyday living, you have eternal life. How bad could today really be? And I don't say that necessarily in a mocking way. I say it in a very material way. Mm -hmm. Think it through. It might be rotten. It might be horrible. And I know church family members who have been through very many deep valleys and difficulties. But when you take the tree of life and you apply it and recognize that you have life eternal, you have the life of God in you, this picture becomes very clear. There's no bitterness that can stand up to that. Amen. There's also a lesson about the anger and bitterness from our old life, or perhaps because of our old life. That old life and the diseased waters can be overcome by the reality of our new life, eternal life, that we now have. Before God provides manna and quail, he does that in chapter 16, before he brought water from a rock, he does that later in, in, in the book of Exodus, he heals the waters of Mara by way of a tree. Why? So that they could joyfully move forward in their journeys to the promised life, to the promised land, I should say. So too we take our salvation and apply it to our 
everyday circumstances and realize we are doing this life for a reason, and we have to do it in the right way. I mentioned Ezekiel. Here's what Ezekiel 47 and verse 12 says. It's a long verse as we put it on the screen, but understand where it falls. Ezekiel chapter 47, Ezekiel's seeing a bunch of visions of what the heavenly kingdom will be like, what the future will be like. And there is a temple, and from that temple flows a river. In the first nine verses of Ezekiel 47, that river as it flows is what the prophet himself walks in, ankles deep, knee deep, hip deep, and then eventually it's over his head. Yes, there is coming a day where we will be over our head, out of control, only controlled by God in heaven. And that is a true statement. But Ezekiel 47 shows us what the tree can do for us in this present life. The river is the spirit of God's control. And I've preached a message on that. I've preached two different messages on that through the years about how in Ezekiel 47, what we must do is go completely into the control of the spirit of God and let him lead us in everything. When you are out of control and God is in control, that is a good place to be. He sees the same river, he sees the same tree that the Apostle John sees in his revelation. But notice what he says, and by the river upon the bank thereof, on this side and on that, shall grow all trees for me. Now we think there are many trees by his statement there, but keep reading. Whose leaf shall not fade, neither shall the fruit thereof be consumed. It. Well, is it a lot of trees or is it one tree? I think Ezekiel is seeing a massive tree that he can't explain that is across the whole river, but the river is running beneath. Exactly what John saw in the book of Revelation. And he says, it shall bring forth new fruit according to his months. There it is again. This is the exact same tree. Because their waters, they issued out of the sanctuary or the temple of God. And the fruit thereof shall be for, notice, meat and the leaf for what? Medicine. Hmm. Well, the Bible word meat there just means sustenance. It means that I'm sustained by it. This is the same tree that Adam could go and take from in the garden and live forever before he sinned. This is the same tree in Revelation that we would take from. Here's what Ezekiel saying. For Israel and for us in this age of grace, we can go to that salvation every single day and draw our supply from. You can have hope and happiness, joy and contentment, peace that passes understanding every day because the tree of life is yours through Jesus Christ. But the second word he uses at the end of that verse is the word medicine. Meat is supplied, but medicine is for healing. That's exactly what he said to Moses. When the tree was cast into the waters, he said, I'm the Lord that healeth thee. What a beautiful picture. I hope we get that this evening. By applying the tree of life to life's difficulties and distresses, we are allowed to have the joy, the healing, the satisfaction and peace, both now in this life, because we already have eternal life. That's the problem, by the way, for most Christians. They're waiting for heaven to live the eternal life. Live it now! You have it now! We ought to exercise that life even now. God did not allow Adam to eat of the tree of life and live eternally in sinfulness, but rather that tree was kept from Adam and his race until Christ died as the atonement for man's sin. Then, and only then, can the eternal life of God be rightly received in us, but then it must be lived through us. 
Mara was cured not by a random tree found out in the backside of the wilderness, but by a purposeful tree shown to Moses to place in that water. I was talking with Zach in the office today. That word shown back in Exodus chapter 15, when it said he showed Moses a tree, that word showed literally has the idea of an arrow or a spear thrown or cast before someone. Hurled before them is actually the word in the Hebrew. Yada is the word in Hebrew. I don't even know what that means. Does it mean that God took a piece of the tree of life and threw it down from heaven and said, hey, put that in the water? He might have. I don't know. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. I just know that it says he showed him a particular tree and said, you put that tree in there. There is only one way to a life, to, to eternal life, and that is through Jesus Christ. Amen. So, friend, that tree has the potential to affect your daily living. It's not just a tree that was in the garden and a tree that's going to be in heaven, but it's a tree that's in your everyday life today. Yeah. It enables us to overcome disappointment discouragement and our own despair all the bitterness of life all the quarrelsome nature of our existence all the hurts all the heartache can be cured and i am not suggesting that it is simple for some of you have walked through far deeper valleys than i've been asked to walk through but as a pastor i can say confidently not from my lived experience but from my learned education from this book that you can through the tree of life make it through anything it will sustain you, and it will heal you. What you must do is take that truth that you are saved and that you have the life of God within you and cast it into the midst of all of the waters of each of those circumstances. The question then in this, this evening is, do you? God, I cannot bear these problems anymore. I know, he says. Take the tree. Take Christ. Trust him and put him in the middle of the waters of that problem. God, I cannot solve this. I cannot change this. I cannot handle this. And I'm angry about it. But God, I do trust you. I trust in the life that you have given me, what you have promised me, and the change that has come over me. And I'm going to live in and for that life through the midst of this problem. That's how you take the tree at Mara and put it into the waters of your own problem. It's then, friend, that you will have sweet fellowship with God. It is then that you will experience health to your bones. The sustenance, the meat, and the medicine of healing will be upon you. In closing, would to God that we would always understand the provision, the placement, and the permanence of God's tree of life. So that we may unlock its potential to remove anger and bitterness that come into our life. I put in the bottom of your notes there, we have eternal life through Jesus Christ. Here's the question. What evil could cause us to become bitter? What evil could come upon us that we could complain, that we would quarrel and fight with one another? And the answer I put at the end is this, just in case. I didn't want you to go home and ask me, yeah, that's a good question. The answer is none. Father, help us this evening as we close our song.